gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fighting in the War Room. This is episode 27, the review section for Friday, June 20th. I have no idea what day it is. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about the rover, which I, I believe, David, it's just me and David today. Um, and I think this movie has come out in like one or two cities. This is a slower rollout for yeah, A24. It's going a little bit wider today. Um, so hopefully people will be able to see it. I don't think it's on VOD or anything, so you have to track this one down in theaters. I think it, but it was it in be. New York and L.A. last week, and now it's opening a little bit wider. It's expanding. The so rover is roaming. Hopefully more people out there. Come over, come over, rover. Um, David, tell us a little about this movie before the we rover. get into it. The rover. The which rover. Which is, is a very mysterious object in the movie. Uh, you well, don't, yeah, let's well, not dwell I don't want to get in there. Um, <laughs> But can also accurately describe the main character who is living a nomadic life because we are, we begin, as a title card lets us know, 10 years after the collapse. uh, And no more information is given about the the downfall of civilization as we know it, uh, which is perfectly fine by me. It is left vague. There is no talk of a virus or anything. You get the sense that... It definitely had an economic bent to it. Um, and it didn't have the Weinstein brothers um, a- adding pictures of like storms coming in, and <laughs> I'm, I'm no. remembering the road. What they added to the oh. road to to make up for what happened here. Oh, geez. Uh, anyway, so this is we are ten years after the collapse. We are introduced to Guy Pierce, who plays a man who we may as well just call the Rover, although he's billed as Eric. And he is... <laughs> His name uh, tag falls off within the first three minutes, right. so you really forget. And he's uh, in the Australian outback where this film takes place. And he... It's, it's a very um, small film, despite the the premise might suggest that it's telling more of an epic story. But no, this is a very intimate post-apocalyptic film. Uh, essentially... This character about whom information is very slowly teased out over the course of the film. He doesn't speak very much. He's very taciturn, mysterious. Um, His car is stolen by these uh, thieves. And all the thieves, it's interesting. It's not Mad Max where everyone has formed these sort of... uh, you know, crazy high fashion um, <laughs> leather gangs. An absence of leather in right. this film. It feels... Uh, it's the normcore version. It, it, it aligns with your sense of what this might actually look like. Um, you know, people are struggling to make do. The economy, such as it is, is uh, it's, it's sort of guarded back to the barter system. But, you know, people are wearing, like old khaki shorts from 10 years ago like it just uh it's it's uh, it's a really interesting very organic look to it but anyway his car gets stolen and he is essentially tasked with finding his car um he's played by guy pierce he eventually runs into a mentally deficient american transplant I, it was never explained why he's american or how he got there um i have i have yeah well the, it's it's part of the mythos of this uh-huh. movie that like after the collapse Australia just seems like a great option for people. Right. Okay. Sure. You get you get a little <laughs> of that throughout the movie about like what the collapse really means because they go to a lot of quarries. There are a lot of quarries in Australia, which I've later learned from research. But just to hook people, <laughs> I will I will say that that, that American 
Halfwit is played by Robert Pattinson. Oh yeah, uh, we're gonna get a thousand more listeners by that as, mention. As Ray, his character's name is Ray. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's actually I wasn't thinking about this in relation to that character, but no, I was thinking a lot about. There's a very testosterone e feeling to this movie. I think there are very few female parts, although there are a couple that stand out. Um, but this is really a, a film about sort of men making their own justice and and sort of how without a greater system to define uh, their behavior for them how they determine what's right and wrong collectively and individually and how there's often a lot of friction between the two um but it actually made me think a lot about australia as like a a prison colony uh, maybe just because it has the the outback in this post-collapse state has a very prison-like Kill or be killed mentality, but there are uh, there are no guards anymore. <laughs> um, Although there are military roaming around, right. they do run well, into military forces. It's one of those clever movies that hints at a much larger world without having to spend money on creating it. I mean, there's like one shot where um, the military does play a larger role in the third act, but there is one shot where a very well-armed, expensive-looking military unit rides by on a train with with kanji characters on it, and um, it just gives you a little bit of... Like, nothing happens in the scene. They just look at Guy Pearce, and he looks back, but you get a sense as to... um, Just a little bit, a little peek behind the curtain as to what might be happening in the rest of the world and the scale of what has gone on. But uh, it's by David Mahode, who made a film called Animal Kingdom. Uh, he's definitely one of Australia's most promising filmmakers, and this is a really interesting follow-up Were you a big film. fan of Animal Kingdom? I was a fan of Animal Kingdom. <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of Animal Kingdom, but I did think that his directorial style should promise, and a promise that I think he delivers on in the first ten minutes of this movie, which are very... Um, uh, really sort of engagingly directed. They make great use of of planes of action in, in the frame and, and uh, very meticulously put together. And it goes slack a little bit in the middle, but I do think that this, it's a very curious movie um, that in it, it's and again it was so much smaller than I thought it was going to be. Maybe just because I don't know why I had this different conception of what the film was going to be in my head. But uh, it's a very curious movie, and it casts a very strange, lingering effect. I mean, the, it, it ends with quite a punchline, which we will not reveal. Uh, but the, the I think I think I, I think I related it to the movie The Aristocrats at some point. That's how that's how it felt. It felt like someone should spring out and say, "Hey," um, which I yeah. kind of I, I kind of love that after all the bleak stuff that uh, happens throughout this movie. It is a very uh, without giving too much information to you, the viewer, uh, you just feel the dread. You feel mm. the collapse in every moment. But you would agree that the ending, as opposed to like an aristocrats joke that feels aristocrats, aristocrats, <laughs> the aristocrats joke uh, that is sort of by design, not ha- like doesn't have anything to do with what's come before it. That the punchline in this movie does go a long way in strengthening and, and anchoring the story that we've just seen. I think it does. I mean, I think it contextualizes everything we've seen. It makes you question everything we've seen, especially about Guy Pierce's character, about what he's chasing and what his life has been leading up to this moment and why he would go, you know, he, when we see him, what, what happens, I don't know if you mentioned this in the synopsis here, but um, 
you know, he pulls up to get a drink at a bar or something, and someone steals his car, and he, and one of them is Scoot McNary, and there's some other actors I didn't know. Scoot. This trio, this trio of thieves steal his car, uh, and then he just gets in their car. So I, I think that they didn't want their dingy car, but he gets in his anyway, and, um, and just pursues them, and... It's like Duel. It's like Spielberg's Duel for a while, where he's just following them so intensely and gets out of his car, and he's not asking, he's not telling them why he wants his car. He just wants his car, damn it. Yeah. Um, and it's very creepy. And, and yeah, and you get nothing from him. There's nothing in this movie where just give us a little motivation or a little thrust for this story. It's just on the mystery. And yeah, in that final beat, everything is kind of recontextualized in a, in a startling way. It's a, it's a lot of energy in that last moment um, after, and if you can make it all the way to the end without kind of losing interest or having your attention drift away. And I think it does that by having these weird, mysterious moments. I, there's one scene where he buys a gun so he can go actually kill these guys. Um, and it's very like twin peakish, like what is really going on here? Why are these different people? You know, one of them is a small person. One is an old lady. Like, why are these people living together? What is going on in this world? It's intriguing enough for me to get to that final beat yeah well said i think that the uh, yeah i think that the movie it's not especially long and i think that while it is quite oppressive and severe in the 100 minutes um or certainly the like 70 minutes between the uh when the, the jolt at the beginning and when things begin to sort of resolve themselves i certainly see the potential to lose interest and i did from time to time um Mostly when I was having difficulty adjusting to the movie as it was, rather than the movie as I expected it was going to be at various different times. But it, I think it does get slack a little bit. There's a lot of, there's a, the stuff between Guy Pearce and Robert Pattinson is, and actually almost like everything in the movie is more interesting in retrospect when you really <laughs> get a full idea of what the movie was up to the entire time. All of a sudden, the decisions that the character makes, the decisions that the filmmaker makes, um, come into a new light, a new clarity, and I think um, it would be an especially interesting film to revisit. But um, I, I had a really interesting time with it. It's, it's very... I, I, I mean, I think it, it's, it's, it knows what it's doing when all is said and done, it does it well, and it's a very different kind of experience. It's not going to change the cinema as we know it and I think be one of the standout films from this year by any stretch but um, I'm glad that even more glad than I was after seeing Animal Kingdom that David Mahode is on the scene and you know in, continued kudos to Robert Pattinson for making interesting choices when he didn't necessarily have to. Well, th that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think this movie relies a lot on Guy Pearce and Robert Pattinson to bring something to the table when the script isn't necessarily doing that or it's holding all of its cards to its chest. Mm. Um, it's a poker face from start to finish. And like, how much can these two guys offer you when really what's coming out of their mouth may not matter that much or make any sense when they're talking? Like you and I, before the podcast, we're talking about like, what actually happens? Let's think back to these middle mo scenes in the movie where it's basically just the t these two guys on the road. And like, they're talking about, Nothing like what are I, I'm trying to remember exactly. I, I don't see them learning too much, and yet, um, I mean, I mean, Guy Pierce is helping Robert Pattinson's Boo Radley esque character kind of come to terms with his family because one of the guys who stole the car is his brother, and he's been basically abandoned by these guys. And it's like 
they, they form a friendship, kind of, sort of, but I'm, I'm not sure how that really resolves. Even in retrospect, I'm not sure what these two characters have to do with each other and what they've gained, or if, if the world is so bleak that it's it, their relationship is putting the collapse into a different perspective. Well, I think that somebody like Pattinson's character who is not, he's sort of a victim of his circumstances, both, you know, of uh, what's happening in the world and also uh, his own sort of limited ability, his limited cognitive ability. I think he is as close to an innocent, and you see this a number of times, a very common trope in uh, stories about hardened men like like Guy Pierce's character, where he's sort of an innocent that's thrown into this for contrast and forces Guy Pierce, who is very indifferent to the other men around him, to sort of reevaluate his moral code, which, uh, and as we learn a little bit more about his backstory and the reasons he's so taciturn, uh, his morality and, and navigating it, it becomes even more central to the story. And I, so I think, you know, Guy Pierce's character is ultimately a device to, you know, be an expression of that, but um, their relationship, it never becomes... And this is probably for the best of the, of the movie. It never becomes especially sentimental or... Uh, you know, there's not going to be some sort of deep bond between them where, um, you know, you're going to find yourself crying or one of them standing over the other as they die weeping. I mean, it's just not that kind of movie. Um, I'm, I'm now thinking that maybe the rover for me, I, I mean, I really enjoyed this movie, but it may actually drift too far into like the plot at a certain point when there's there are big shootouts and when they cross paths with the military a little bit, like it almost... Um, it's kind of filling time at a certain point just to like get them to from A to B with a few hurdles. Uh, and for something as murky as the rover, I'm surprised that I would say that maybe, maybe it drifts too close to plot, that it doesn't just bask in this strange world that David Michaud has come up with. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the movie could probably be... Um it could probably be like even more opaque. It could probably be 20 minutes shorter and not... Uh, have a number of scenes that may, they may have felt they had to have in order to justify spending this money. And right, maybe this should be a short film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, maybe this could be a 40-minute minute movie or whatever. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it works as is. It's definitely, it's definitely uh, a different experience. And I think especially if you did enjoy Animal Kingdom, I would recommend you I did not enjoy Animal Kingdom that much. I'm, I'm, I, I, I agree with you that I think there's... He's doing a lot in that movie, and I like the mechanics, and I like the vision there, um, but I think at the end, the, the drama didn't really work for me. It was just, like, too much, just piling things on to make me sad or to, to kick me in the gut. And actually, the rover might be in a similar camp. I think I like the rover a little more than Animal Kingdom. Yeah, He's opening well. up and being more imaginative. Um, I feel the same way after the rover that I did after... Uh, Animal Kingdom, more or less, even though I do prefer this movie, that it's just like, well, I, I like that, uh, but I'm really curious to see what he does next. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's almost and, like yeah. the rover. You don't really know <laughs> what you're getting, and you're hoping the last movie or the last beat will kind of change everything for you. Yeah, but I guess if, uh, you know, eventually you want to have him deliver something that you can really chew on and it's a slam dunk, but if after every one of this guy's movies, I'm just like, oh, I'd like to see what he does next, uh, I, you know. That'll that'll go a long way. I guess. David's waiting for David Mashad's superhero movie. That's what uh, he's really. That's uh, what he yeah. really wants. So uh, I'm disappointed that he's not going to be directing Doctor Strange. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, just to wrap up, I want to give a shout out to a, a website that I've been reading for like years. And I am not a car person, but in this movie, because Guy Pierce is chasing this car with with such determination, I was like, "What is this dusty old car that they're all chasing?" So there's a website called the Internet Movie Cars Database. I'm guessing you've never been there, David. I I have not. Uh, the IMCDB, and it is just I mean, who I don't know who runs it. I should probably look into this and like bow down to this person but they they screen cap movies like tons and tons of movies and they label the cars they'll tell you all the cars in a given movie so the rover has like four identifiable cars in it and now i know that guy pierce is chasing a 2006 holding commodore and was your life enriched with that it was it was i'm like oh now i know what he's going after uh-huh. That that made all the, the mystery plot solved. <laughs> came into came into view for you. Well, that's good. Uh, the rover. It's out in many places this week. Go watch it and be intrigued by whatever David Michaud does next. Australians all, let us rejoice, for we are young and free. We have golden soil and wealth for toil. Our home is good by sea. Our land abounds in nature's gifts of beauty rich and rare. In history's page, let every stage advance Australia fair. In joyful strains, then let us sing advance Australia fair. All right, to wrap up, this week's lightning round question is inspired by Clint Eastwood's Jersey Boys. It's no bird. Um, It's actually quite terrible. I really, really hated Jersey Boys. I think there's a couple defenders out there, and they are definitely fans of Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, of which... Uh, their their legacy this movie's based on and um, it's horrible it's really just really boring and it teases you at the end um, because they have this amazing song and dance scene like straight up Gene Kelly uh, actually I, I just learned Gene Kelly directed Hello Dolly I didn't I never knew that mm. um, but it's it's just like Hello Dolly it's fantastic it's totally it's fantasy uh, just like Jersey Boys should be because it's so sugary pop and uh, no the movie is but dark but Joe Pesci's origin story <laughs> it is uh, yes uh, besides being a dark brooding 60s pop musical movie it's also uh there's someone who plays joe pesci in the movie because joe pesci brought the four seasons together uh and this actor does not look like joe pesci nor does he act like joe pesci you'd think he would just you would get like the scorsese joe pesci if you're gonna put joe pesci in the movie also there's a cameo by clint eastwood because he features himself in what i believe is maverick or uh Some television show. Um, But yes, he appears in the movie as his former self. And I was just, that's when I Facebooked. Wait, he he appears as Clint Eastwood? No, no, he doesn't appear. They're watching television and they're watching a Clint Eastwood television show. Oh, oh, okay. And that did not fly for me. I was, that was, that crossed a line. Anyway, what are your, uh, what musicals do you want to see turn into a movie? David, do you have uh, an answer yeah, here, I'll or do you pick, have someone? Uh, I'll pick Justin, who said, at Mr. Justin Powell, who says, bring in the noise, bring in the funk. Such a fascinating view of black history through dance. I think uh, I saw that show, and uh, uh, fuck, what's the name of the guy? Uh, Savion Glover, who did the dancing. It was really incredible stuff, and I think, uh, as we've seen in film history, uh, Tap dancing, especially with the athleticism that Savion Glover brought to it, can be very cinematic. Um, and I would really love 
an opportunity. I feel like I didn't see Jersey Boys, but I feel like it probably wasn't quite as cinematic as it could have been. I think a lot of these musicals. Um, no, it was like a VH1 <laughs> made-for-TV biopic. It was horrible. Yeah, I think a lot of these musicals lose the visual element because they're so focused on. I mean, you don't have to look any further than Les Mis to see how ugly the oh. these things can be. So uh, you know, I think that would be a musical that really avoided that. Um, so I check it out. Yeah, bring it. Um, I want to go with at Duncan House who says you're in town because I'm always talking about you're in town on this podcast and he cites Elysium like they you're in town gets the ending of Elysium right and I'm pretty sure I mentioned that in our review so that's how obsessed I am uh, Duncan House and I are on the same wavelength but I'm really going to go with at easy rights uh, Esther Zuckerman who says Sondheim's company because I want to see how someone mixes inherently naturalistic theatrical elements of that show together in a movie uh, and I couldn't agree more as someone who's totally stuck on like movies are too realistic uh, bent and I am. I just want to see like people monologuing or breaking the fourth wall or or interacting and sliding from scene to scene, like more fluid musical experience. Uh, I just think that'd be really extraordinary. Something that's not just a naturalistic version where people spring up into songs. Uh, mm-hmm. Something that's a little more free form, and that's exactly what company is. Especially if everyone plays their own instruments, like they did in uh, a revival not too long ago. So that about wraps things up on this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week talking about something, who knows, and next week reviewing a movie, probably. Uh, actually, it's probably going to be Transformers. Oh, uh, yeah, it is. Age of Extinction, which David loves. Uh, no, uh, he hasn't seen it yet, but I'm just predicting, uh, and I hate. But anyway, why don't we tell the people where they can find us on the internet, starting with you, David. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I am the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine, and I write for The Dissolve and The AV Club. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. Uh, and I think that's all the shilling that I'm today. <laughs> and I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet all over the place. I had a piece at The Dissolve this week where David has written. I feel... I feel Grateful, grateful to be there. Um, and I put all my work on mattpatches.com and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And until next week, farewell. Farewell.